0: going to put these glasses on because if I don't, you won't hear anything that makes sense tonight. You may not hear anything that makes sense, but that's another story. But uh, I, don't, I hate these things because it makes me look like I'm looking down on people, you know. But without them, when I get to heaven, the Lord will change this. Let's turn to the easiest book to find in the Bible tonight, the book of Genesis. If you can't find that one, there's nothing I can do to help you. I appreciate that song because it goes along with what I want to share with you tonight. I want to live for him who died for me. And I want us to, tonight to think about living a godly life in an evil world. And I want you to go with me to the sixth chapter of the book of Genesis. Look at a fellow named Noah. Noah. And see what we can learn about living a godly life in an evil world. I'm just going to read a couple of verses uh, to kind of get us started. We'll look at a number of verses here and some other places in Scripture. But I want to just uh, begin here with, if you would, in verse 5. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Well, that's a strong statement, isn't it? It it repented God that he had made man. Not only that, but it pained him in his heart that he had created man because man had become so wicked and so evil. Notice, if you'll continue with me here, he says in verse 7, And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowl of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Here's a second statement. Again, God says, it it repents me that I have made them. I've changed my mind because of their actions. God wants to love us and care for us and provide for us. But these men turned their backs on God and wickedness went off into a coarse life. A life of wicked evil that God says now they have so changed that I have changed my mind about these men. It's a, it's a, a terrible statement. A difficult statement. But then there's there's the, the light of verse eight. But Noah. Aren't you glad for the the and I always get in trouble when I say this the butts in scripture? That's a great study if you want to study in your Bible. Just study the places where God says but. Because there's always a change, always a contrast that he's drawing there. Here's this wicked world that God said, I repent of having made these creatures. They're so wicked, they're so awful, they're so terrible. I've repented of that. And I'm going to destroy them. But here's a man I find who's found grace in my sight. Would to God we'd be those people. Amen. Yes, would to God that we would be those that God would look at and say "I, I uh, this man, this woman, this young person finds grace in my sight. Yes, sir. Yes. We live in a wicked world. Right. A wicked and ungodly world. It's interesting to me that as we look at this in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7 he talks about how he condemns Noah condemned the ungodly. The idea of that word is those who have Rejected the commandments of God, those who have turned away from the, the commandments of God, those who, who ignore the, the commandments of God. But Noah condemned those people by his very life, the godly life that he led before that generation of people. And before we look at this, let's, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful, Lord, to be able to be in a country where we can open our Bible. Read the word of God and and listen, Lord, to its truth. Lord, I, I take this very seriously. And I ask you tonight, Lord, that you would open our hearts. That you'd help us, Lord, to see the truth that's before us. Lord, we're living in an awful day, a wicked day. It's not going to get any better, Father. And Lord, we need to know how to live godly. We need to know how to live so that we're a light to this world and not swallowed by its darkness. Now, Lord, I ask you to help me tonight. Give me strength, and wisdom, guidance of thy Holy Spirit. Lord, may you direct in all things, and may nothing here that's said tonight bring shame upon your name. We ask now for your blessing, for your Holy Spirit to work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've lived 77 years in this world, not as long as some and longer than others. But I have to tell you tonight, there's never been a day in my life that I've seen a more wicked society in this country. I grew up in a little country village out in the dairy country of New York. We never locked our doors. My dad left his car in the, in the driveway and never locked the, locked the car. You try that today and you come out, your car will be gone. Things have changed. Come to church, Sunday morning, you drive past home after home after home after home after home, and the cars are still in the driveway. Indifferent to the things of God, indifferent to the spiritual things that they need in their lives. And I I believe that we're living in a day of such wickedness that it's become the watchword of our society. We we live in a day when, Paul described it as perilous times in 2 Timothy 3.1. We live in a day when in the 13th verse of that same third chapter he says men are going to grow worse and worse being deceived and following that deception we live in a day of transgenderism i am what i think i am the bible calls that fools we we live in a day when we are overrun with drag queens teaching children little stories in the in the library there's violence in our streets there's anarchy in our streets there are there are dozens of people shot every weekend in the city of chicago and other major cities across our country there's a the destruction of our institutions where there is no real justice anymore and there is uh, there is a dual system of justice in our country we have a sexual promiscuity we have abortion we have uh, pornography, we have human trafficking, we have the occult. You know, it's Halloween now is the second largest holiday in the country. And then we have the barbarity of October the 7th and the anti Semitism that flowed forth in our country when the band aid was ripped off and the mask was no longer hiding the wicked hatred of the Jew. America's going to pay for that. And we need to be praying. For Jerusalem and the peace of Jerusalem. But I say that to say to you: How can we live then in this godless society, in this wicked world, in this cesspool of iniquity? It's all around us. It touches us every day in our lives. We go to work; it's there. We go to school; it's there. If you're in a public school, at least. And we go down to buy groceries; it's there. It's everywhere in our society today. How can we live in this society? In fact, the Bible says that in the day uh, before the Lord's return, that it will be like the days of Noah. So the question that I want to broach with you this evening is, what were the days of Noah like? Well, if you look here at verse 5 in our text, He said the wickedness of man was great, great in the earth. The imagination was only evil continually. Satan tried in the garden to destroy God's plan for man. And God intervened and gave a promise in Genesis 3.15 that he would bring a deliverer through the seed of the woman. And Satan hatched a plan. He said, I'm going to corrupt one of these sons. And the first son born was Cain. And Eve said, I've got me a man. I think she believed that was God's promised seed. Satan corrupted the mind and heart of this man Cain and he murdered his brother and Satan said, now I've won because I've not only destroyed the seed, but I've corrupted the seed so the deliverer cannot come. But God had other plans. And he brought of the seed of the woman a fellow named Seth. And Seth began a line that called upon the name of the Lord, the scripture says. But he had another plan. That is Satan. He said, "I'm going to corrupt the whole race." And so we read here earlier in this sixth chapter, and there's a lot of controversy about this. I believe this. If you don't, well, God bless you. But uh, notice in verse two, it says, "The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose." And the Lord said, "My spirit shall not always strive with man, for he is also his flesh. Yet his days shall be hundred and twenty years." So. I believe that these are fallen angels come down, and they are cohabiting with women. And later, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, in the book of um, what is it, 2 Peter 2.5, I think, said that these were the angels, the fallen angels, that are chained in hell. God dealt with them because of what they did. And when they intermarried with these women, then things begin to happen. Notice what the Bible says here a little further on in verse 4. He said there were giants... In the earth in those days and also after that. And when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bare the children of them, they became mighty men which were of old men of renown. So they, they came in mighty men. What does that mean? I think it means they had authority and dominion over the society. And they were men who were wicked. And they, cha- they charted and moved that society in that wicked way. They were men of renown. They were famous. For their wickedness. They were heroes of wickedness. You know we have heroes today. But these were heroes of wickedness. They weren't like chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews. Heroes of the faith. They were heroes of the wickedness of this world. And they moved the world in that direction. The result of that. The Bible tells us in verse 11. That the earth was also also was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, and all the flesh had corrupted his way on the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. In other words, God said, I'm going to end this. I've taken all I'm taking. This is it. We're done. And then he says this. He makes this this statement. He said, I will destroy them with the earth. The idea here of that word is I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth. Notice again in verse 5, the little phrase God saw. What did God see? He saw the evil. He saw the wickedness and the iniquity. It's interesting to me that this same phrase is used in the first chapter uh, of the book of Genesis in the creation account. And God saw that it was good. In verse 31, it says he saw that it was very good. Now he sees something different. Nine generations down the road, man is so wicked, God says, I'm going to wipe them from the face of God. Of the earth, what was it that was going on with them? Well, we see that the Bible tells us in 2 Peter 2 5 that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, but these folks were totally indifferent to that preaching. The Bible says in the book of Matthew, chapter 24 and verse 39, they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. There was a spiritual indifference. See, they were all in their houses on Sunday instead of being in church. Do you see something that looks familiar here? Yeah. And then notice, if you would, they were totally preoccupied with their physical appetites. Book of Matthew, again, chapter uh, 24 and verse 38 says, They were eating, drinking, and giving in marriage. Does that not ring a bell in our day? Man is consumed with his physical appetites. The spiritual he cares nothing for. But this physical, he is all in on. They were totally perverted morally. Notice again in verse 2 of our text in Genesis, it says, they took them wives of all whom they chose. There was a perversion going on, totally perverted in their morality. In fact, it was so bad that God said, I'm going to totally destroy them from the face of the earth it was so bad that it grieved the heart of God that he was in pain over this. I wish that I could have that same depth of feeling that I would be in pain over the lost state of men and the sinful, wicked lives that they live. God's heart was broken in this wickedness. This co-mingling. But, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Here's one man who is approved of God out of all the multitudes. Understand, I don't think God is speaking here just haphazardly. I think he's saying there was one man. Only one man. Noah. None of the rest of the godly seed from Seth were counted as righteous. We're finding grace in the eyes of the Lord. Do you understand how awful and wicked it is? Do you understand that today in America, this is the lowest percentage of people who attend church yeah, right. right now while we're living? Yeah. One man found grace in the eyes of the Lord. One man believed God to the saving of his family, Hebrews eleven seven tells us. One man condemned the wicked world by his righteous manner of life. Every time he put a plank in that ark, he convicted the world of their wickedness. Every time he drove a peg into that wood, he convicted the world of their wickedness and their iniquity. This one man became the heir of righteousness by faith. All the rest perished in their unrighteousness, but one man became the heir of righteousness. Righteousness. I want you to think with me tonight. This is negative, I guess, up to this point in time. I didn't paint a very pretty picture here. But I want you to understand that a godly life can be lived in this wicked world, in the midst of our wicked culture and society. A godly life, your life, my life. We can live that life in this society. Even though it's depraved and wicked and ungodly and it's going to get worse, we can live a godly life. We can learn from Noah how to live that godly life in a world that's drowning in sin and wickedness. We need to remember an unchanging precept in our minds of the spiritual truths that we've learned from God and then put those in practice and live those out in our lives. So I want you to think with me in the time we have together this evening about Noah's life of godliness in that ungodly world in which he lived, illustrating four lessons for us That we might live godly in this ungodly world in which we live. I want you to notice first of all his constancy. His constancy. As believers in a wicked world, we must remain constant in our unchanging principles of life. Notice this man held to his truth. He held to that which he knew was from God. He held to that constantly in spite of no doubt peer pressure. Now we're not told. What went on. But there was no doubt pressure on this man, just as there's pressure in this world. You may find that same pressure at work, at school, at at, uh, the place where you go to enjoy uh, some recreation, or in the friends and family that you have. You may feel pressure today to go in the direction of an ungodly world, a world that's filled with wickedness and iniquity in our day. But this man held to those precepts constantly. There was one man that found grace. In the eyes of the Lord. That constant prayer pressure came from men that the Bible describes in verse 3. As all uh, saying that man for he that is also he is flesh. And the importance of that phrase is simply this. God is saying this man's not just human bone and flesh. But he is sold out to his flesh. He is sold out to wickedness. Is that not the world we live in today? When I see some of the things on the internet, news webs, and headlines in the newspapers, it sickens me. It, it grieves me. And that's where we are today. But here's a man who held in all of that. And, and God delayed the judgment, That he's waiting 120 years for God to bring that judgment. And God waited and waited in his long suffering. And this fellow did not move from where he stood when God began with him. What I'm saying to you folks is simply this. We need to have that same kind of constancy. We can live in this life godly. We don't have to follow the wickedness of this world. It's important to understand that he moved in this direction because of the learning that he had been given in his early age. I don't have time to go through all of this today, but but, uh, if you go all the way back to Adam, you know that Adam lived his, uh, Noah's father, Lamech, was 65 years old when Adam died. So guess what he learned from Adam? And then his son, Seth, was born and people began to call upon the name of the Lord. If you go to the book of Psalms chapter 116 and 117, he defines that for us. He says, I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. They began to worship God. Yeah. Right. This man, Lamech was alive when Seth lived and learned about how they began to worship God. He heard the stories from Adam about how creation took place, how Satan came and tempted Eve and they fell in sin in the garden and how God took that lamb and slew that lamb that they might have a covering and their sin might be covered by the blood of that animal in an atonement for their sin. All of these things he heard not secondhand, but from the very source, the very beginning. Then we see Along comes Enoch. We know Enoch, don't we? He was the man who walked with God and was not, for God took him. He walked so closely with God that God said, Enoch, let's not go home from this walk. Let's go on to heaven. Here's a man that the Bible tells us in the book of Jude, preached and prophesied of the judgment of God. And so this man, Noah, is learning through his father, Lamage, about the judgment of God. I wonder if we are as concerned about the judgment of God on this wicked world as Enoch was. Then there's Methuselah who follows after Enoch. And Methuselah's name means when he dies, it shall be sent. And he was a living witness of the judgment of God that was coming and the long-suffering of God who waited on man in his grace to give man that opportunity to turn from his wickedness and repent. Methuselah lived for 969 years. That's long-suffering, folks. And this man, Noah, learned from his grandfather of the judgment of God and the long-suffering of God as he waits and waits for man to turn from his wickedness and his sin. And then his father, Lamich names him Noah. Which means rest or comfort. And he prophesied of a day when he would be preserved and others would be preserved from the judgment of God on the cursed earth by the cleansing of the flood waters of that day. There's a double reference there to the day later that's yet coming when Christ will come, and this earth will be purged by fire. But I want you to understand that. All of this is building in the life of Noah. He's, he's seen the, 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 the very basic truths and doctrines of God through his great, 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 great grandfather. He's seen the judgment. He's seen the mercy. He's seen the long suffering. He's seen the promise of a redemption and a deliverer. And there was one man who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Folks, I I believe today that we can be that one man or one woman or one young person who finds grace in the eyes of the Lord and can have an impact upon this wicked world in which we live, that we can live according to those principles that we know, those truths that we have learned, those things that have been brought to our hearts and taught to us by faithful preachers and faithful parents and faithful Bible study. We can be that one man. We can be a constant yeah. in an ungodly world. Amen. You know, I used to work. Uh, <laughs> I pastored for 47 years, but I did work. But when I was uh, in college, I worked on a rail crew. And uh, those guys were uh, a bunch of hard drinkers. And uh, we, would, we would always... Uh, stop on the way back to the rail yard after a day's work in the hot sun and they would get beer. Say, uh, hey, you want, you want a beer? I said, no, thank you, I don't drink. Well, why not? I said, I'm a Christian. Oh, okay. Well, we'll get a, we'll a six-pack of beer and an orange soda. I said, that's fine. That was a light. It was a light in a dark world. We have to stand constantly on those things, against the pressures of this world. I read of Martin Nemo, or some of you may be familiar with him. He was a German preacher during the world War, Second World War in Nazi Germany. For over two years, this pastor was jailed in solitary confinement, and given only three-quarters of an hour a day to go out and, and exercise outside. He was kept away from all the other people that were out there working And they said to him, Pastor Niemöller, you can be released and you can go back. You can go back to your church and and you can be free. The only thing we ask is that you do not preach, but what we tell you, you can preach. Now, I don't think that we would probably agree with all of Pastor Niemöller's theology. But Niemöller stayed in prison in solitary confinement because he refused be told what to preach from God's Word. Folks, we can make a difference, but we have to hold constantly. That's what Noah did. That's why he lived a holy life. That's why he was a a witness and a light in his world. It was because he lived that life constantly and lived the truths that he had accepted into his heart constantly. Then I want you to notice his character. How do we live a godly life? Well, we do it by being constant in our belief. We also do it by having character. I want you to, to notice that as believers in this wicked world, we should build a character to sustain that godliness in this evil society in which we live. Someone has said that character is what you are in the dark. I believe that was D.L. Moody that said that. Some have said that character is the practice of godliness. I like that definition. But I suppose a longer definition would simply be that it's the inner strength to attempt to consistently think and talk and act according to a predetermined set of biblical truth. That's a good character definition, I believe. And this man had character. He was steadfast. That is, he was fixed. He was firm. He was constant. He would not be moved by the opposition and the ridicule and the, and the scoffing that came to him. He swam, so to speak, against that current. He was a steadfast man. Everyone else was going in the way of wickedness, but there was one man who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because he was a man that was steadfast before the Lord. He moved according to God's truth, not according to the truth of man's mind. He moved in accordance with the requirements of God, not the requirements of his society. He had character to be steadfast. He had a set of principles. Listen, if you're going to be steadfast, you better determine before you're confronted with the wickedness of this world what you will do. Because if you don't, it's too late when it happens. Steadfast. His character is also mentioned here in verse 9 of our text. It says that he was a just man. That is, he was a righteous man. He was a man that did right before God. Our world could use a whole lot of folks that would do right before God. We need a whole bunch of folks in the government that would do right before God. A whole bunch of folks in our higher education who would do right before God, rather than teach the garbage that they're teaching today, rather than teach anti-Semitism and, and uh, the wicked uh, ideas of socialism and the immorality of transgenderism and abortion and all these other isms that seem to afflict our society today. Right. We need today men who will be righteous. You cannot live godly in an ungodly world unless you are Righteous, unless you're willing to do what is right, sometimes it's not easy to do what's right. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do to do what's right. But we need to do that and live that before this world. You can be godly in an ungodly world if you're willing to do what is right, no matter the cost. This man was willing to do what was right, and then the Bible tells us he was perfect in his generations. That is, he was blameless. The idea that he's conveying to us here is that he, was, he had kept himself from corruption. There is so much pornography on the Internet today. And so many, not just men in the world, but so many Christian men that get attached to that pornography. You and I need, as men, to keep ourselves from that corruption. Don't turn it on. Don't look at it. If it comes up, sometimes you can't help seeing things. But don't keep looking. Turn away from it. How can you live godly in an ungodly world if you're not willing to practice keeping yourself from corruption? I believe today that we live in a day of moral declension, just as in Noah's day. But Noah kept himself morally virtuous and righteous. He acted in a way that was blameless to the eyes of his world. And you know, when you do that, you become a light to that world. Because you're different. You're not the run of the mill, wicked individual who's living according to the flesh. You are some peculiar bird. That's a testimony and a witness to the world in which you are living, in the society where you you find yourself. But then he was also faithful. You notice he preached for 120, how would you like to do that? Brother Jason, how would you like to preach for 120 years and nobody responds to you at all? It's like, we don't care, we're not interested, we don't even want to talk to you about it. 120 years, he kept preaching, he kept believing, he kept building. He just kept fulfilling God's plan and purpose for his life. Listen, we often get discouraged in our world because of the ungodliness around us, and we quit. We quit being the light. We quit being the message. We quit living the truth. But if we're going to be godly in an ungodly world, it's going to require some character. It's going to require us to have a set of standards in our heart and mind that are biblically based that we're willing to live day in and day out and day in and day out. I think Pastor says that character is living, continually living those precepts until they become a habit, a part of your life in your practice of life as it was. And so this man had this character. He was biblically based. He Uh, Listen, gentlemen, when you have the strange woman, you understand what I mean by strange woman? You have that that woman who is morally bankrupt, they used to call them soiled doves, come to you in some place in your life, what are you going to do? Hmm? What are you going to do? You need to have some character. You need to have that built into your life before that strange woman shows up. What are you going to do when your employer asks you to do something dishonest? And that happens a lot more than you would think. What are you going to do? Well, if I, if I don't do what he's saying, he'll, he'll fire me. Well, maybe you ought to just do right and trust God. This is a part of our world in which we live today. Daniel stood in the court of Nebuchadnezzar and said, I'm not going to eat the king's meat. Why? Because he had character. God said, it's wrong to eat this meat offered to idols. He had been taught that. And so when it came to him, he was ready. He said, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to eat this meat. The three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, came to that great plain of Shinar, and the great image was set up. And Nebuchadnezzar said, bow down before my image, and these fellows wouldn't do it. He said, I'll give you a second chance. He said, don't bother, king. We're not going to bow down to you. If you want to kill us, that'll be fine. God will take care of us. Whichever way it goes, we're not really worried about it. Would to God that we would have some of that same backbone today, some of that character today, to live in an ungodly world, a godly life. The apostles couldn't stop preaching. And when the Sanhedrin called them in, in the book of Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, he brought, they brought them in and said, don't preach in Jesus' name. And they just went out and preached in Jesus' name. They called them and said, what are you doing? And he said, we, we have to obey God before man. That's character. Because of that character, they turned the world upside down with the gospel. Would to God we had character today in an ungodly world in which you and I live today. But not only was there character, but notice his communion. How do you live a godly life in an ungodly world? Notice the communion that this man Noah had. Notice The Bible says in verse 9 that he walked with God. He walked with God. What does that mean? Does it mean he was out for a stroll and God was strolling along? He may have been. I don't know. But what it means is he had a time when he and God got together and they fellowshiped and they communed and they talked and he was walking with God. He was communing with God. As a believer, in this ungodly, wicked world, I must and you must maintain that communion, that vibrant communion intimate fellowship with God that we might conduct our lives rightly in this wicked world. This is the secret, if you want to say so, of living a godly life in an ungodly world, communing with the Lord. Seven times it's recorded that he communed with God, that God spoke to Noah. What did he speak to him about? Look at verse 13. God said to Noah, the end of all flesh is come before me and the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. He talked to him about the condition of man and his grief over the condition of man. Maybe we would be more concerned about the people in our world if we communed with God enough to get the same spirit that God has and the same grief in our hearts that God has for those who are in our world who are lost. The Bible tells us that this man in the Chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews says that he was warned of things not seen. God warned him. God told him about the judgment that was coming. He spent time with the Lord. We find here uh, in the uh, 14th verse, uh, down through the, about the 16th verse, I won't take the time, he tells him how to make this ark. What is he telling him? He's telling him here how salvation is going to be provided. Do, do you understand the need of that intimate walk with god where we learn about his holiness he speaks to our heart about his plan and purpose in our life in this world he tells us about the wickedness of man and how it grieves his heart let me ask you this evening do you have that kind of walk with god do you have that kind of communion with the lord God speaks to your heart about these things and impresses upon you these truths. It's that kind of thing that changes the life and makes you a light in a dark world. He communed with the Lord. He spent time with God. He spent time concerning the word of God. He listened to God's estimate of the world there in verse 13. He listened to God's warning of wrath in Hebrews 11, verse 7. He listened to God's instruction for the work in chapter 6, verse 14 through 21. He was constrained by the word of God, and that's what sustained him for 120 years in preaching the gospel and the judgment of God. Now, you know what? Most preachers in this country... I'm talking about independent fundamental Baptists now, King James boys. They average about three or four years in each pulpit, and then they're off to some other place. Why is that? Well, maybe they just don't have that walk with God that they need to have, where God speaks to them about the people and speaks to them about the wickedness of men and speaks to them about their own walk with God. I'm saying to you today that we need to have that kind of thing in our lives, that communion with the Lord. Let me ask you, do you spend time with the Lord? I'm not just talking about, okay, I just read my chapter for today. But I'm saying do you just spend some time with God in his word, in prayer, so that he can speak to your heart, so that he can tell you the things that he wants you to know, that these things can be heartfelt in your heart and life, the world would no doubt change if we walked with God like Noah walked with God. I believe today that's the kind of thing God's looking for, the time in his word. Are you moved to be more like him? You know, my, w- my wife and I got married, how long ago, dear, 54 years ago. And, and I knew her and I loved her but I found out I didn't know her like I was going to know her. I mean, when you go into the bathroom and your wife has squeezed the the toothpaste tube in the middle, I'm telling you, it's a revelation. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? How much time do we spend with the Lord so that we know Him? Now, we know a lot about God. We're independent Baptists, right? We know about God. Some of us have been from the time we we're this high, we've been raised on the Bible. We teased on the book of Genesis. But how much do we know him? I have to tell you in my life, I don't think I know him like I should. I don't think I I don't think I understand his holiness like I should. I don't know that I understand his compassion like I should. I'm saying to you, this is what made this man the one man that found grace in the eyes of the Lord and the one man who was able to live in a wicked, sin-ridden society and find favor in God's sight. Let me just give you one final thing this evening. And that is, notice, if you would, the book of Hebrews chapter 11, if you'll turn there with me. I want you to see his confidence. Hebrews chapter 11 His confidence. Verse seven says, "Noah, being warned of God of things not seen, as yet moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heirs of the righteousness which is by faith." I want you to notice that verse starts with faith and faith and ends with faith. Did you see that? This was a man who had confidence in God, and as believers. In this wicked world, we must have a vibrant confidence in God, an absolute trust of the Lord that we might live godly in this evil world. Right. That faith is the basis of what Noah actually accomplished. It was the basis of his service for the Lord. It was the basis of his faith in the Lord. It was the basis of everything in his life. It began and ended for Noah in faith. He had faith in the proclamation of God. He was warned of God. Now, put yourself in Noah's place. Noah, it's going to rain. What's rain, Lord? Noah, there's going to be a flood. But Lord, I've never seen anything but the dew on the ground. What's a flood? Noah, you're going to build an ark. A what? Are you serious, Lord? I don't even know what an ark is. I've never seen one. I wouldn't know how to build one. But Noah had faith in the word of God. He had faith in the word of God. Listen, that's what it takes to live godly in an ungodly world. You've got to have faith to do what's right. Have faith to follow the word of God. Have faith to live like God tells you to live. Have faith to be a testimony in the world that's dark with sin. And then notice the Bible also tells us that his faith rested on the person of God. The scripture here says that God told him about things not seen. They hadn't seen the judgment of God. Not like it's going to come. They hadn't seen the flood. They hadn't seen rain. There was was nothing there that was just... The person of God talking to him and telling him about things that were unseen, unknown. He spoke to him and told him about things that were unfathomable. Can you, can you put yourself in Noah's position? And God's saying, it's going to flood the whole world. What do they say to the kids? Right? Blows my mind. Unfathomable. I, I can't comprehend this, Lord. He told him things that were unknown. Told him things that were impossible. You're going to gather a whole bunch of animals, one of each kind. Put them in this ark. Lord, I can't even catch the chickens. How am I going to get a whole boatload of animals? But he believed God. He believed God. And because he believed God, he believed in the provision of God. And so he began to work on that ark, and he began to build. Now, my question is, where did he get the money? (laughs) Where did he get the materials? I don't know if Noah was a billionaire, millionaire, or a piker like me. But he trusted God for the supply. He trusted God. Or the strength. You know how old he was when he began this building? He was 475 years old. I'm 77. I go out in one day and do a little hard work, and I'm laid up for a week. <laughs> Noah was four. You say, well, yeah, but they lived a lot longer, preacher. Yeah, I understand that, but he was 475 years old. God gave him the strength. And by the way, they say, well, he had his sons to help him. I don't think so. His sons weren't born until he was 500 years old. They were maybe a few years old when he started building. Now, maybe later they helped him a little bit because it took him 120 years. And it would take you 120 years to build it too if you were doing it by yourself. But God gave him the strength. And he trusted God for what was impossible. I think about Daniel in the day of Darius, I believe it was. When the king said, okay, here's a decree, you can't pray to any other god but me for 30 days. Daniel trots up to his room and gets his windows open, gets straight down in the window where everybody can see him, and he prays towards Jerusalem, just like he always had. The king said, sorry, Daniel, but you've got to go in the lion's den, and I probably won't see you in the morning, but uh, thanks for all you did. Daniel's not concerned. You read the the account. He's not upset. He's not fussed. He's he's just okay. Why? Because he was trusting God for the impossible. Remember what happened when they threw the conspirators into the lion's den? Those lions had a feast that they'll never see again. But Daniel had not one injury because he trusted God. Do, Do you understand tonight... God's looking for people that will have faith and live by faith in an ungodly world. So let me close tonight by just saying this to you. Maybe maybe you're here tonight and you've let the world move you away from God's truth and the standards of God's truth in your life. Maybe God Speaks to your heart tonight and says, you know what? You need to be that man or woman who will be the one who will stand in godliness, who will stand constantly on the truths that you know, that you've been taught, that you've learned, that you've heard from the word of God. Or maybe tonight you need to come and say, Lord, I need to shore up my character. I haven't been living righteously. haven't been following the the conduct that you want me to follow in my life. Or maybe you need to come tonight and say, you know, I, I just need to confess, Lord, that I have not trusted you like I should. And so things have gone a little askew in my life in this wicked world because I haven't really trusted you like I should have to do the things that I ought to do in a wicked world. Or maybe you need to come tonight and say, Lord, I I just I just want to rededicate myself to living godly. My heart is burdened with the ungodliness of our world. It grieves me to see the wickedness that is so pervasive in our society. I think we need to be like John Wesley. A lady came to John Wesley and said, Mr. Wesley, if you were to die at midnight tomorrow, what would you do differently today? And Wesley said to her, Ma'am, I would intend to spend it now. I would preach this evening at Gloucestershire and again tomorrow at 5 in the morning. And after that, I'd ride to Tewkesbury." and preach in the afternoon and meet the societies in the evening and I would then go to Ren Martin's house who expects to entertain me and talk and pray with him and his family as usual and retire myself at 10 o'clock and commend myself to my heavenly Father and lay down to rest and wake up in glory. That's the consistency of a godly life that we ought to practice, that we might be a light and a witness in this dark world that is a cesspool of sin and wickedness. Now, listen, you may think, boy, this has been a negative message. But here's the positive. You can live godly in an ungodly world. That ought to be a joy to us to know. Because sometimes people get discouraged and say, what's the use? I can't, can't fight this thing. It's just overwhelming. But the reality is, like Noah, you can be that one person who finds grace In the eyes of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. And Lord, we thank you for this life of Noah that is so clearly a godly life. Lord, help us tonight. Help this poor man and those who are here with us tonight. Lord, help us to live godly lives. Help us to live in this wicked world, this cesspool of sin and show a godliness. There'll be a light in this world. It'll sanitize some of the evil in this world. that will point men to the one who can help them, who can bring salvation to their hearts and lives. Lord, help us today. Speak to us about our lives. Pray that Holy Spirit, Lord, would use your word tonight. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to ask you tonight if God has spoken to your heart. This is a Sunday night, and I understand this is kind of the cream of the crop. Maybe God's spoken to you tonight about the need of a godly life in this wicked world. Maybe you'd like to come as the invitation is given tonight we sing the invitation come and just say Lord help me to live a godly life Lord help me to have the faith to trust you to live that life help me to remember the things that I've heard and been taught help me to just stand with you and be constant